Welcome to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS, covering the world of mapping and location technology. Welcome to Location Matters. My name's Sarah Butler and I'm your host. And today we're going to be talking about free and open source software for geospatial. And this is something that's really important to people all over the world. Um, Using GIS technology is a pretty niche area, but it's an important area. And so many of you who listen to us are really interested in this topic. There's so many technologies available out there on the market and you're trying to learn how to use them, but there are all sorts of barriers that can get in the way of that as well. One of those could be that you simply just can't afford to buy a GIS software to use for your project or other. And this is when open source GIS comes in really, really handy. And I'm really happy today to have two pretty awesome people who are really involved with some of the work we do here at NGIS here to talk about that with us. So without any further ado, I would like to welcome John Bryant, who's here in the podcast studio with me in Perth. Welcome. Thank you. And I've got Niall Dawson as well joining. Thank you so much, Niall, for being on the podcast. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. Great. Well, I'll let you introduce yourselves to our listeners and maybe give us a bit of an idea about why you've been asked here today to talk about this topic in particular. John, I'd love for you to start. Could you just explain who you are in this whole world of open source GIS? Well, I've been doing a lot of uh, work in the last few years on open source GIS, especially in community building with uh, running conferences and things like that. Um, But yeah, I'm a longtime GIS person and I started getting interested in open source probably about 10 years ago and it's uh, kind of taken over my life in a way. So I live here in uh, Perth in Fremantle and um, yeah, thanks for having me along. No problem. Beautiful part of the world there in Frio. And now, would you mind also introducing yourself to our listeners? Sure. So, uh, yeah, my name is Niall Dawson. I'm, I'm from the, from Queensland, this, the kind of sunny part of Australia. Um, and I've been involved in open source for maybe 20 years now, but specifically in terms of the open source spatial side of things, um, uh, it's about 10 years that I've been in that kind of sphere after I went back and retrained and got into the spatial industry. Yeah, nice. Awesome. Well, let's jump straight in. I'd love to talk to you both about um, open source GIS, particularly technology um, and geo tools that you you go to. What are your favourite things, John? I mean, I have a lot of favourites, but uh, a couple in particular that I tend to use every day are um, QGIS, uh, Desktop GIS, and PostGIS is the other one, and that's a spatial database. And um, they work really well together. And they sort of both do really different things, but uh, yeah, they're they're great pairing. And I think beyond just actually using them, um, the reason that I like those two things in particular because they're both uh, really strong community-driven projects. There's a strong community of developers and a strong community of users that uh, that are behind those projects. So they're really interesting to me for that reason, amongst others. Mm, QGIS is very popular with the Indigenous Mapping Workshop as well, which is something that you're really involved in. Um, what do you think it is about QGIS, for instance, that makes it so user-friendly, I would say? It's very accessible, for one. So um, especially for people with a GIS background to jump in and start using it, it uh, I think it's quite easy for people to, to do. But um, also just low barriers to entry, such as the cost. But also, there's, a, there's like I mentioned, there's a strong community. So there's sort of a, a network effect. I think people hear about it from other people. Uh, they get interested in trying it, they try it out, and then they kind of get hooked. Yeah, absolutely. Niall, do you have any uh, favourite go-to geo tools in the um, open source GIS space? 
Yeah, well, I mean, uh, QGIS is my passion in terms of like that was the first one that got me into this whole space. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm quite involved in the QGIS project. So it's sort of a, a daily task for me is to be, I guess, contributing directly to that to that application. But if I kind of step aside from that for a second, uh, it, it it really depends on which day you ask me. So, <laughs> you know, a couple of years ago, I guess I, I would have said like John, uh, you know, PostGIS is is awesome. Um, but like kind of recently, my my day to day work really uh, is using QGIS to make nice looking maps and then just Python um, to to actually do the the analysis and kind of dig a little bit deeper. Um, and that's really what <laughs> what my kind of my current tool set looks like. Um, but if I can get a bit geeky and talk about you know my favorite open source geo tool, it's probably one of the lowest level parts of the whole open source geospatial thing. And it's this library called Proj that's responsible for like all these kind of projections and transformations. And I think it's really elegant. It's like just this beautiful, really nice code, really nice little library that does its job and it does it so well and makes things um, so much easier for everybody else that it's got a special place in my heart. And again, if you if you told me like five years ago that I would say that about a kind of projection geodesy library, I probably would have laughed in your face. <laughs> <laughs> we have a yeah. um, we have a GIS um, tech series like a blog series on the NGIS website called Geotech Friday. Have you guys ever seen any of that before, no, that content? So. so basically we get all of our GIS team and some of our GIS developers here in the office and, you know, from time to time I hear them talking a little bit like you were just then, Niall, about like, oh, there's this new thing and it's really cool and no one knows about it and I love it and I want to do it, use it in a project and I'm like, would you be interested in writing a little bit about that because what would be really cool is if you dig it then maybe other people will dig that too and maybe they just don't know about it. And I was just listening to you talk about that and I was like, maybe, maybe Niall will have to rope you in to write a little, you know, yeah, six, the, 700 word the, blog about, about was it called Prod? Prod. 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 Uh, yeah. Okay. But the, the problem is that nobody wants to know about geodesy. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the ugly side of uh, spatial. It's, you know, don't, don't tell me. I just want to know my four CRSs that I'm supposed to use, and that's all I want to know. Well, if you follow um, Niall on Twitter, you'll, you'll hear a lot about EPSG 4326 lately. <laughs> I, was, I, was, uh, I posted a semi-inflammatory tweet about <laughs> projections, and then, like, the next day I was like, that's my most popular tweet of the year. And I don't know who I am anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you triggered people then. Get me, get me back into cartography. and like Yeah, you set up some things there. People are asking me about that tweet. I'm like, I don't know. That's nice. I want to read this tweet. <laughs> what did you say? Uh, I was adding stuff to QGIS this week because it's coming up to a new release. Um, and one of the things that I really wanted to do is make it so that uh, when people in certain industries, so uh, I've got a lot of experience in sort of engineers using QGIS and using JS software. Um, they have really high precision requirements in terms of, you know, plus or minus a meter is is deadly sort of, you know, you, you, it's uh, some, some fields kind of plus or minus 50 meters, who cares, plus or minus 100 meters, who cares. But um, in engineering especially, and in this kind of world of BIM and yeah, engineering and CAD sort of integrations, it's, it's important. Um, so I, I wanted to introduce a little warning in, in QGIS that says, like, if you're trying to save data into EPSG 4326, so WGS84, that, that that kind of that decision comes with a consequence that the data is 
effectively plus or minus two meters. You can't really get any more accurate with that data mm. as a result of saving it into that that particular projection. And then it fired up this whole discussion because 4326 is sort of seen as like the default choice that most people use, like the safe choice. Um, so saving data, WGS84, it's like this kind of ingrained thing in the, in recent years that that's the, that's the correct choice, the ultimate choice. Save your data in WGS84, it's good. I might but have had a few colleagues saying that as well. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's actually kind of incorrect if plus or minus two metres is a is a factor for you. Um, and it's, you know, it's a message that I've kind of learned over the last couple of years. I've realised so many mistakes I've made in the past as a result of that. And I've been trying to educate other people as a, as a consequence. And I kind of like when I, when I can see an opportunity for me to change Q just to say, uh, how about we make it a little bit more user friendly and if the user is about to do something that has certain consequences that we know of, show them a warning, show them some sort of advice to let them know that as a result of this decision, possibly it's not, you know, you need to rethink that. Um, so I put that little warning in there and then, yeah, mm. it's in there now. We'll see how it goes when 3.20 comes out. Causing waves. Oh, yeah. good on you. I think it's good. <laughs> That's good. Um, yes, I do think we should write about this. This sounds interesting for our audience. Um, but I want to go let, back. Let, let me go back to cartography, please. And <laughs> <laughs> put, put Geodesy back on the shelf. Yeah, yeah. We actually wrote, um, we had Nick Brown from Geoscience Australia. He wrote a Geotech Friday blog on Geodesy. You should go and have a look. It yeah. did really well. In fact, I was looking at all the stats from the past 12 months and I think it was like fourth most read blog that we had for the year. Sorry, Nick. I wanted to say, if you're listening, um, <laughs> you, you might have been number one, but unfortunately it wasn't number one. But anyway. I mean, I guess it, it's pretty important for Australia at the moment if you're looking in, you know, Australian users at least. Uh, like GDA 2020. GDA 2020, yeah. I mean, and then there's like, you know, in the future there's this ATRF where they talk about dynamic CRS and it's kind of moving with the plate and this sort of stuff. So it's we've all been kind of thrown in the deep end about relearning a lot of this stuff and it's going to be an effort that we need to keep doing for the next couple of years and as, as, as things keep changing underneath us. Oh, yeah. That's I, the bad news. Sorry, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's hard, it's hard to write about as well. Being me, someone who's not trained in GIS either, I know what I know just from working here and spending a long time here and listening to people and talking to people, quite hard for me to wrap my head around and then I talk to my GIS colleagues and they're like, it's hard for us to wrap our head around oh, yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah. well I, I think there's like four people in the world who understand it, to be honest, and, and, I, and I'm not one of them. I keep going back to these four people that I know <laughs> and, you know, am I right here or am I saying the wrong thing? And yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, well, let's, um, we're going to revisit that some other time, I think, now, but in more detail. But what I would love to do is that you did mention you were doing that in QGIS. I want to stay on the QGIS topic for a second. And John, I want to ask you about the work you are doing for Indigenous Mapping Workshop, which we did just touch on very briefly there. Can you tell us a little bit about the courses that you've been helping to create um, for Indigenous Mapping Workshop and how open source data and technology can be used by Indigenous people to care for country? So yeah, Niall and I collaborated on um, a couple of courses for the IMW On Demand, the online courses, and those were released a few months ago. We've got a couple more in the pipeline, um, but yeah, basically those are um, aimed at introducing users to QGIS, um, getting them up to speed on a few really core skills, and uh, in some of the later ones, we're getting into some more detailed uh, aspects of using QGIS, particularly raster, but we're trying to touch on topics that will be of relevance to the audience, so things like uh, fire management, native title, um, uh, things of that sort that might be 
uh, of relevance to Aboriginal corporations and Aboriginal rangers um, around the country. Yeah, so I mean, in terms of open source software and open data um, with Indigenous communities, I, you know, I feel pretty strongly that there's a really strong affinity there that I think um, Indigenous communities stand to benefit a lot from embracing open source technology and open data, um, particularly because, uh, well, f for one thing, there are very few barriers to entry. You don't need to buy the software. You don't need to ask permission to use the software or the data in most cases, you know, like there are um, there are licensing requirements you should pay attention to. But that being said, you know, you can just jump in and start doing things. And I think for um, a lot of people that uh, just really facilitates, it just makes it really easy to engage with it when you can just sort of plow into it. You have an idea that motivates you to get something done and there's not much standing in your way except for your own ability to, to understand what you're doing and get things done. So I guess with the IMW stuff, I'm pretty excited about just the, the, the possibilities for Indigenous communities in Australia and elsewhere to, to really engage with the stuff and to, and to drive it um, in their own. And I think that's actually one of the things I really like about the Indigenous Mapping Workshop is this is, a, is an organization and a, uh, an activity that's organized by Indigenous people uh, for Indigenous people. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I feel as a non-Indigenous person, I feel quite uh, fortunate to be able to be involved in it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, Marinda from the Winyama team who has put together a couple of courses as well for the Indigenous Mapping Workshop On Demand, which if we do have any um, Indigenous listeners at the moment, it's a completely free training platform. So if you want to learn how to use QGIS, for instance, you can just go and sign up for that and one of our team will approve you and you can get started. And, and like John was saying, those barriers to entry aren't there. So you can just go in and, and get started and learning how to use those tools straight away. Um, but Marinda went along to your last phosphor event which was in new zealand i remember she was so excited to go to that um but she actually came back and was telling me all these stories um about other indigenous groups pacific islanders who are using mapping to do more or less a lot of the same things that she was doing as well mm. Niall, were you at that new zealand um event yeah i've got really fond memories of it yeah, what, yeah. what kind of cool things were you hearing coming out of that event with other groups that are using open source GIS in really exciting ways? You know, one of the things that I really love hearing about is, is people who use uh, like these geo tools for things that we don't kind of traditionally associate with them. So specifically, anytime anybody's talking about like interplanetary use of them, I think that that really, you know, I don't know, there's something about it that's like exciting and it's... Uh, it kind of fires up that sense of adventure of you hear people making maps of other planetary bodies and uh, it's it's cool you know it's exciting and it's kind of cool that the tools the same tools basically translate there and i've also um you know i've also heard of people using these same tools for uh i guess the the other side of things where they go really microscopic with it and they'll use the same tools that we use like QGIS or whatever um and use it for this kind of yeah, microscopic, you know, sort of sub-centimetre use. And it's it's cool applications that you just wouldn't normally associate with these technologies at all. Love hearing about that kind of stuff. Um, I was speaking via Twitter, actually, to somebody I believe is known to the sort of open source GIS community. His um, handle is Mapmaker Dave. Oh, yeah. He is a big fan of what IMW is doing and he's always kind of asking how he can be involved. 
Um, and I know he goes to the, those events and he was telling me about one of his projects, which was um, sort of detecting sea level rise in, um, I'm going to get it wrong. So Dave, if you're listening, sorry about that. Um, but but he, he's just so passionate about getting these tools into the hands of people who wouldn't previously know about them or know how to use them or anything like that. And he's so inspired by it. And it's just hearing stories like that for me are in, just inspiring at that level. It's just imagine being at that event and hearing from all these different people. And like you were saying, Niall, I think it's like very contextual. The way you use GIS doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the exact same for somebody else as well. It's all about the environment that you're in and the problems that you're facing and what you're trying to tackle as well. It's really, really cool that people are able to, you know, just grab this technology and go for it. Um, so it's really nice to hear what you had to say there as well. But what about, you know, creating, editing, analysing geographic information for location insights when there's so many GIS packages available and it can be hard to decide what software might be best? When do you start to use an open source platform over something like a commercial GIS platform? Very controversial question um, because sometimes it is the case. Sometimes, you know, even here at NGIS, we're like, you know, well, this this is calling for a commercial GIS software. Where do you draw the line? Uh, I would say, <laughs> I would say when it does a job better. Um, <laughs> you know, if you, if you can, if the software is doing something better, then that's the, a great reason to, to use it. Um, personally, like I see the big attraction in open source software. It's not so much about the cost. Um, it tends to be like one of the first things that people think about open source software is uh, it's free. I can just go on the website, download it, and it's zero cost. But um, the the thing that initially drew me to open source software was uh, was kind of that other aspect of free, where it's free for anybody to to modify and and be involved in. Um, and so for myself, like I passionately hate roadblocks. So if I'm if I'm trying to do something and then the software gets in my way and stops me from doing it or you know prevents me from doing what I want to do, I get so frustrated if I can't. Um, you know, if that's the end of the story, if it's like a commercial piece of software, I can't do what I want and that's it, it's kind of game over. So for me, like that ability you have in open source to actually help uh, drive the direction of the software and, and get things changed in it, that's, a, that's like a huge selling point. Um, so I, I guess I guess the thing is like a lot of people would, would hear me say that and they're like, yeah, but I don't have, you know, I don't have the ability to go into that software and change it to do what I need. Um, you know, I don't have the programming skills. I don't have the the time or the the energy to do that. And, and I, that's, I guess, another thing that is a bit of a, a misnomer in that that open source world is that the only people who can get involved are the people who are programmers, the developers, and yeah, everybody else is kind of um, just a user and a sort of a second class citizen. Uh, it's not really the case at all because, again, that 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 freedom that comes with open source, you can. There's lots of different ways you can take advantage of it. So. Um, if you don't have those development skills, you can, if you've got finances, for instance, you could contract it out to somebody who does have those skills and still get those changes that you want to see, those, you know, those modifications made to the software or those enhancements made to the software. That an end user still has the, the capability to do that. And even if they don't have um, financial resources to do that, there's still opportunities. So there's lots of times in the past that I've been involved where an end user has wanted to see a change. They've been particularly motivated by it. They didn't have the financial resources themselves, but their motivation encouraged them basically to, to kind of organize a crowdfunding attempt and mm. get other people involved as well. So, like know, Grant Boxer. Take, 
Yeah, yeah, and, and sort of like take the charge on that and say, okay, here's here's a change I want to see happen. I know a lot of other people would too. I'm going to take charge. I'm going to find those people, approach those organisations, see if I can get the funds together so that somebody with those skills can make the change to the software. Mm -hmm. And they've still got that opportunity as well. So even if they don't have the financial resources, um, maybe they've got the contacts or maybe they've just got that motivation to to reach out to people and actually approach others to fund. So there is, you know, there's definitely lots of ways that that end users can influence the software. Um, and that's, you know, that's to me, like one of those huge blinding attractions for open source software. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, there's so many ways for people to contribute to the open source geospatial community or ecosystem. And I mean, um, you know, one way is just becoming a part of it and being, being a user and attending events and meeting other people and listening to stories, getting enthusiastic, sharing your story and, um, you know, like, uh, I just think, I don't, I don't know, there's just a connectedness of the community, I think, that is part of the uh, momentum of the open source ecosystem. Um, and I don't know, I guess for me, I'm, I'm actually kind of interested in learning more and understanding better how that actually uh, helps open source projects like QGIS move along. Because I know it's, uh, it's a community-driven project. So, you know, like as a user coming to a conference, like how am I contributing to, to, to the, the momentum of that particular project, for example? I have a, a question around that because you say it's like a community-driven project and Niall, you were saying that you were even just doing something like adding in these warnings for QGIS users and putting information in there. I mean, is there a steering committee or something? Is that how this works? You know, is it that anyone can just go in and make these changes or do you have to be part of like a deciding committee? Is there a voting system? Can you explain? Yeah, okay, so the, the way QGIS is structured, um, there is a steering committee and it's... Um, it's a fairly common approach to, to open source software. So I, I guess I guess when you're looking at open source software, it, it really falls into two camps. So one is um, kind of like hobby projects, I guess, where it's like one person is doing something, maybe they've written a tool for themselves and they decide to do it, put it on GitHub, make it open source and share with others just because they want to. Um, but it's really kind of like a one-man show, you know, like it's their, it's their baby, they're, they're in charge of it. The other side is you get the larger projects. So they're kind of, um, I guess, more well-known ones like QGIS, where uh, the things kind of hit a certain level and they get more formalised, the steering committee gets involved. Um, and now if you look at the QGIS structure, there's a QGIS.org is a non-for-profit organisation based in Switzerland. They kind of sit above the project um, and the, the steering committee directs the project. But then they're, they're also sort of like... Um, a commercial entity and that they get sponsorship. So different organizations will sponsor QGIS to different levels and they collect the funds and then decide amongst themselves how they want to invest those funds back into the project. So part of that is grants or bug fixes. They, they pay for some bug fixing sprints or events back when in-person events were happening. Um, uh, and they, they really kind of sit on top of that whole that whole organization. Uh, and then, it, then in QGIS you have you have different sort of subgroups, I guess you'd call them. So um, the developers, for instance, more or less the steering committee leave them to do what they were specialised in um, and, and only kind of gets involved when there is a bigger decision to be made. Um, but the development team more or less runs itself in terms of it uh, reviews all the incoming changes to the code. If, if somebody not involved in the project sends in a new contribution, someone who has been involved in the project and has kind of and a certain amount of kudos will peer review that change and decide if it's acceptable or not. Um, 
and, and that part is is almost self-running. Uh, yeah, and and then the the other part of QGIS, it's kind of structured in a way that the there's local user groups as well have a say in that in that organisation and how it's run. So every now and then, when there's a decision goes out to a vote, so like if there's an AGM and they have to decide, do we approve this budget or do we approve this chain this big decision that needs making, it actually goes out partly to the user groups, so they get a say into it as well. So it goes all the way down to those kind of user level local level little groups um, to have a say and direct the whole influence and in the direction of that project. Um, and it's not, it's quite a good setup, but it's not unique to QGIS. So you'll find that a lot of the other larger open source projects also have similar kinds of setups in place. Right. Well, I didn't even realise that there were so many layers to that at all, um, very naively, but thank you for sharing that. I, it's definitely um, been a bit of an eye opener for me. I think... Well, um, Sorry. I mean, when you look at QGIS, for example, there's there's something of maybe, oh, I can't remember the latest stats, but certainly like 500 plus, maybe 1,000 plus people have contributed to the code at least over time. So it's it's quite a massive community and there is quite a lot of um, organisation and, and in, uh, governance that, that comes of that size of a community. So it's it's kind of a natural progression, I guess. The larger the community grows, the more these structures are put in place to make sure it's going in the right direction. So many geospatial enthusiasts, hey? So many. So many. You have your own group, GeoGeeks. I've, I've read about that as well. Can you tell us a little bit about GeoGeeks? Sure, um, yeah. Uh, so, well, GeoGeeks is a small group of uh, Perth geospatial enthusiasts, uh, people who are uh, particularly interested in open source. Um, and uh, we started about five years ago, and basically the, the idea was just, well, let's, let's get together and bring our laptops and... Uh, share stories and help each other out with problems and so we did sort of a, a fortnightly hack night thing and I guess it's just kind of you know gone along fairly organically but uh, uh, so with just sort of regular regular meetings and uh, quite casual um, got a mailing list and we try to stay in touch with the community I guess to some degree but this year we've kicked off um, a series of meetups um, so we did one a month or so ago about QGIS. We had a few speakers come and talk about their uh, particular experiences with QGIS and tell some stories. We had Stafford Smith come along and talk about QGIS uh, plugin development, for example. That was a great, uh, great tale. Did uh, he tell you about his spanner? He did. That was his, <laughs> his leading image. Yeah, <laughs> it's made it onto the NGIS blog as well. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, yeah, but the idea being, I guess, that um, when you bring people together, you're sort of, I guess, contributing to this critical mass because I mean I think you know when I first came to birth uh, about 10 or so years ago most people had never really heard of QGIS certainly people didn't really think of it as something they would use in a professional setting um, but I think you know by getting people together and sharing stories and you know helping uh, helping each other through problems I think we sort of are helping to build uh, momentum locally at least in in the for the usage of the project, and um, I don't know. I mean, hopefully, in in the longer term, it can lead to bigger and better things locally. And I think you know, in, in many ways, locally is where things happen because that's where people get together and meet each other face to face, kind mm. of build that enthusiasm. And yeah, is that why you think it's important to build communities like this so that there is that? that yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. In part, definitely. Yeah, it's about you know. I just think about uh, that first Fos4G state of the map Oceania we did in Melbourne in 2018, where Nile was one of the keynoters. Um, and we had 250 people come from all over the place. Um, the first time it was the first time we'd done anything like it, and I just think that you know there was so much enthusiasm 
generated by that, uh, I think it, it builds up its own momentum. And I don't know, it's kind of like um, mysterious how that actually works, but you kind of just do it, see what happens. Yeah, well, Niall, you're quite um, active across YouTube and Twitter um, in these like sort of more online communities. Um, you know, why? what drives you? What drives you to just keep on finding that energy to keep on going and doing this and facilitating these conversations and, and continuing to build? I don't know. I... Um... <laughs> I enjoy it really. It is. <laughs> I enjoy helping people. I really like teaching. I really like teaching people how to do stuff. And I like the, um, uh, I like seeing people's reaction when you show them something cool that they didn't know they could do before. And, or, or you know, like you see them do something that takes a whole lot of steps. You're like, hey, do you realize that there's a button there and you could click that and it would do all that? And like, oh, yeah, I, I like that. You know, there's kind of a, a good, warm, happy feeling that comes from Yeah, that's <laughs> nice. Um, Niall and I were chatting yesterday, and um, I've been using QGIS for like 10 years, and he showed me a button that I'd probably seen a million times but never pressed. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> totally changed my life. Did it give you the warm, fuzzy <laughs> feeling, Niall? <laughs> yeah. It's like, it, it's actually a really dangerous thing. Don't get me started on like talking about QGIS in front of it because I'll, I'll talk all day. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I, like going back to, you know, what John was saying, I, I, I honestly think like so much of this comes back to people. These communities are great because of the people that are there. And the reason I got involved in the open source geo community in the first place was because there were some awesome people who helped me out. Mm. And um, when I was, you know, when I was starting out and I had questions and I was like, I, I really want to change this thing in Q just because it's bugging me and I can't do my job because it's broken. Um, you know, how can I fix it? And and there was there was two people like um so so one of them is Nathan Woodrow, he's also a Queenslander. And he was he was a QGIS developer at the time. He'd kind of been involved in the project for a couple of years already. Um, and he really kind of mentored me through that. And it was it, it's that kind of relationship with people who get you into a community. And um I, I you know I saw how positive my introduction to that open source geo community was and I'd like to kind of I'd like other people to have that same positive experience when they first uh, come across the community. So that's, you know, I guess that's partly as well what what motivates me to do this this stuff. Yeah, mm. but nothing really, you know, it's good that you all can get together online and, you know, for you, Niall, here in Perth, you we're quite blessed, you know, being able to get together in person still. There's so many places around mm. the world at the moment that, that can't do that. But um, I'd love to just start to wrap up by talking a little bit about phosphor G. We've talked about it a few times. We haven't really delved right into it. John, can you explain what phosphor G is? And you know, state of the map, you've got the Oceania one. And I think I've heard there's uh, Buenos Aires mm. is on the cards as well. Mm. Can you explain to our listeners? Yeah. So, I mean, phosphor G is a, it's a conference series that's been going internationally for, oh, 15 years or so um, all over the world um, and it's uh, it's been in Australia once it was in Sydney about a, a little over a decade ago and the one in uh, was meant to be in Buenos Aires this year the international one um, but COVID obviously has um, uh, forced it to go online and so that's uh, that's going to be uh, late September for a few days and that's going to I mean it's it's the it's the global gathering of the, the people who build open source uh, geospatial software. So FOSS4G, free and open source software for geospatial. Um, so the one last year was uh, also canceled, 2020, and it didn't go online. So I think there's probably a bit of pent up demand. So hopefully it'll be a pretty exciting um, event, albeit online uh, this year. And then there's FOSS4G, state of the map Oceania. So 
That's a, uh, that's a regional event for Australia, New Zealand, and the Pacific Islands. Uh, the SOTM is uh, state of the map, which is the uh, OpenStreetMap uh, International Conference. And so it's basically a combined event for those two communities to come together and talk about all things open geospatial. And so last year there was a, uh, an online component, but it was uh, most of the activity was at hubs around the region. I think there were about a dozen hubs, including one here in Perth. And uh, yeah, it was it was really exciting. I mean, we we were fortunate enough to be able to get in, uh, get together in person, and uh, you know, again, share stories about what we're doing in open geospatial. And um, yeah, I mean, fingers crossed for another one this year. Yeah, and it's a wonderful initiative. What do you think, Niall, is going to be um, top of the agenda in terms of themes and topics covered this year? What do you think we'll be seeing? COVID visualization. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say it. <laughs> I don't want to see them. <laughs> I know it's so morbid, isn't it? But it, it is important, and it's so it's you know it's it was crazy. I did do a podcast on this back at the beginning of um, I guess the Australian lockdown, but all of a sudden everyone's looking at maps, mm. right? Mm. Or on the news there was maps. You're on social media there was maps. Um, every news outlet was using maps and all of a sudden people, <laughs> I talked to some of my colleagues and they're like, oh, people understand what I do now. That's, just, that's <laughs> you know, I guess that's one of the, the benefits of coming out of this. But yeah, obviously the pandemic will be a topic. One, one thing hopefully is that, you know, if we do hubs again, if it's like a regional hub model, then we'll see a lot of people coming along who wouldn't normally get to travel to um, a big regional event and there'll be a lot of local stories. So probably a lot of user stories about how, you know, how am I using... QGIS or PostGIS or, um, you know, GDAL or, or mm. Proj or, or whatever. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe we'll see a lot of use cases uh, in a lot of the hubs. Yeah, nice. Um, so one final thought from both of you is if we have any listeners at the moment who have heard this conversation, they want to get involved, you know, in the open source community, what do you recommend to them if they want to be more involved? Um, it could be you know, Twitter feeds, it could be um, something that they can go and study. Do you have any recommendations? Yeah, I've got two. So so first off, in the absence of the usual QGIS yearly user group meetups that have traditionally happened every year, um, the QGIS project moved to this thing they're calling QGIS Open Day, which is an online monthly event where they get, uh, they sort of set a theme to it and get three or four speakers to, to come along from anywhere and, and sort of present on that. But it's quite a, quite an informal thing, and it's it's designed for people to to jump in, ask a lot of questions, and you know meet other people from that community at least virtually. So that's been going for I don't know maybe six months now, and it's a monthly event. You can find out about it on the QGIS.org website. That's a great gentle introduction to the community. At least it's a, you can you can dive in there, sit in the background of the video stream, ask your questions via text if you want, and and kind of choose the level you want to be involved in there. Um, and it's a good good starting point, good way to meet some people who are already in that community. Um, the other thing is there there is a there is um, an Australian QGIS user group as well, uh, and that's a good place to to get involved in at least uh, get involved with other QGIS users from from our kind of Australia, Oceania, New Zealand region. Um, and certainly uh, there's there's been a lot of discussion recently about how we can how we can grow that group and how, you know, what the kind of next next stages of that group looks like as we go forward. So um, if you if you're kind of looking for an opportunity to to get involved and contribute to the local community, um, there's tons of scope in that group. To, to jump on board and you know help out with what events and help out with resources and yeah 
Yeah, maybe like I'd add the uh, the MapTime Oceania Slack group. Um, it's open invitation, and it's a, it's kind of a place where a lot of people hang out and, and chat about things. It's not the only place. There are many, many channels where we all talk about stuff. But, I mean, it's one place to sort of hear about things and add your voice. Um, and I guess I'd also add, like, you know, it's, it's really just about um, rolling up your sleeves and, and doing, like getting involved. And, and the, that's sort of a vague way of just saying, I guess, you know, um, if you see an opportunity for something to happen, like the best way to make that happen is to actually do it, to, you know, stick up your hand and say, I, I want this thing to happen. And often what you'll find is other people will also want that thing to happen and they'll, they'll join you. And um, I mean, I think that's how a lot of things get started is just somebody expressing some enthusiasm for something to happen and, and other people sort of falling in line and wanting to wanting to support that. So um, I think if we cool. see if we see more of that, we'll see more things happen in this region. Yeah, that's how the whole I mean, the, the phosphor G Oceana really kicked off. It was yeah. a couple of motivated people saw an opportunity, wanted to see it happen, and they they kind of ran with it. And now we've got this these awesome events that have been really mind blowing and how successful and how 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 fantastic they've been. I mean, I think that's one of the one of the things that's special about open source and open communities is like when you have open channels where people can sort of you know places where people can kind of just sign up and lurk and listen, but also contribute when they're when they have something to say. Um, you sort of open the, the possibilities for when somebody does pipe up and say, hey, um, how about we start a FOSS4G for this region? Then suddenly you've got like 10 or 15 people saying, yeah, let's do that thing. And then you've suddenly got a, a whole band of people who actually can provide the momentum to actually make that thing happen. Yeah, it sounds like so many ways and opportunities to be involved in all of these notes and resources. We're going to link them in the show notes of the podcast. And to get to those, you just go to ngis.com.au to the podcast page and then you'll see this episode with the show notes and all the links will be there. We'll make it really easy for you to go and, and get to the places and, and do um, what you want to do with those with that information that you've just heard. Hey, Niall, thank you so much for joining us um, via video stream. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, John, thank you for being here as well in person. It is really nice to have someone here in person. Mm-hmm. We've just gone through another bit of a, you know, three, four episode um, stint with everyone on video, but... I mean, it's the beauty of it, right? We all get to still chat together. So I really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. And that's all we have time for for this episode. I'm sure we'll have the guys back on the podcast at some stage. Um, but if you like what you're listening to here on Location Matters, don't forget that you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and Google Podcasts. You've been listening to Location Matters the podcast from NGIS, covering the world of mapping and location technology. To find more episodes or to read our blog, check out our website, ngis.com.au.